Hudson. So last week, last week we covered evangelism, and I would just encourage you, before we get into the lesson today, don't forget that application from last week. So if we, this, this class, we are building spiritual fathers in this class, people who are mature in God's word and are comfortable sharing God's word and live a life that, that continues to be more and more obedient. And, and I, I just think I, I know all the different ways so many of you all share and serve and, and, and pour into this church and the community at large. Hey, Ken, um, I just I would encourage you to the application last week of remembering those two people thinking through what phase those people are in, what tactics would be the most wise to really engage those people with the word. Uh, don't, don't let that application slip away on you. Uh, I, I told you I've committed to that. I've got, I've got three people actually on my list. Um, uh, one person I was emailing back and forth with from Australia over last night on my phase one strategy with them. So, uh, but, but it's just, I, I would just encourage you, put, put that application into practice. You never know how God may use you, and I want you to know this, God uses people all the time who do not have theology degrees, right? He uses people all the time. You don't have to be the most, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to be able to have a conversation about what God's done in your life. So, so just, just make sure that that doesn't get missed as we go through this, this book of Jonah. So real quick, just a quick recap for anyone who may be new to the class or, or just, or has been in and out a little bit. This is our last chapter of the book of Jonah, and it's been a bit of a whirlwind. So, I mean, we talked at the very beginning uh, about why Jonah was really refused God's commands, you know, why he decided not to obey. Uh, we, We broke down all the information in this text to help us see that Jonah was just, he hated the the Ninevites. He hated the Assyrians. He didn't want to obey. He didn't care if God was telling him to do it. He hated them, and he didn't want them to uh, forego God's judgment in any way. Uh, God had a will that was greater than Jonah's, and God's will is always done. God took care of that. A big fish came. We had a lot of fun talking about whether or not that was a real story or not. I'm still waiting for someone to come and disagree with me on that one, but, but uh, we, uh, we had a good time with that one. Uh, we talked about the element of the book of Jonah being satirical in nature, and sometimes how God uses his, the way we, he tells stories to us to prove a point, and he was using satire in this point to make us sure we understood uh, that if these horrific Assyrians could repent and follow him, surely his very own children, the people of Israel, right, could repent and follow him when they obviously were not repenting. So we saw all of that, and we talked about evangelism last week. This week, we're going to end the story, and what I really want you to pay attention to it, this week is how does this end up for Jonah? Right? I mean, this, is, this has been a crazy adventure for Jonah. He refused God. He got swallowed by a great fish. He goes and preaches the most incredible evangelistic sermon of all time, even though it wasn't a really good sermon. Like I said, this huge revival occurs. Right? And then, and then it, on the aftermath of all of this occurring, just how does it end up for Jonah? And what do we learn from that? I really want you to focus on what's happening with Jonah in this text. So if I could, let me, I'm going to read chapter 4 really, really quickly. Uh, it's not very long, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk through it after that. So it says, chapter 4, book of Jonah. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So, so real quick, what's Jonah angry about? Let's make sure that's clear before we move on. Feel free to call it out. Why is he mad? Yeah. 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 He he hates these people. We've established that he hates these people. He didn't want to go preach to them because they may actually repent and God may actually show them mercy. He goes and preaches to them. Bad sermon, but he preaches to them. They repent by the hundreds of thousands, and God shows them mercy. Right? God shows them mercy. He was waiting for a Sodom and Gomorrah episode, right? I mean, like, he's, he's wanting to see, you know, brim, hellfire and brimstone come down on these people. That's what Jonah wants, and he doesn't get it, right? So he's angry because God was God. God showed mercy. Like, he showed the Israelites time and time and time again, he showed them mercy. So, now that he realizes God is showing them mercy, verse 3, he goes, Therefore now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? feels like something I should tell my kids sometimes when they're pouting. Do you do well to be angry? Verse 5, Jonah went out into the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He's still hoping that God will change his mind and fire and brimstone are going to come down on these people. I just want you to make sure, like, if, if you grew up thinking Jonah was the hero of this story, like, you were taught the wrong Bible lesson, right? Okay, so now, verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more of 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The greatest mystery of the Bible. Why does God care about all the cattle? But he does. All the farmers in here who ever raised cattle just know God cared about the cattle too, right? So, so, but and you see that term, they don't know their right hand from their left, which really means they just don't know what they're doing, right? So, so God's just sitting there saying, all these people, you're mad at that plant that it died. You didn't even know that plant. It was here less than 24 hours. All these people, you, you have, you, you're mad about that plant, but you can't have pity on these people. So we see this great contrast in this last chapter of Jonah between the nature of God and the nature of man. So the nature of God and the nature of Jonah. And I want you all at your tables if we can. I want everyone from this side of the room, if you can, I want you to look in this chapter and what do you see in this chapter that helps you better understand the nature of God? What attributes of God? What, what do you hear that helps you just from this chapter understand more about God? What do you see? Talk about that at your tables. And then on this side of the table, 
What do you see from this chapter, or this side of the room, what do you see in this chapter that helps you better understand the nature of man, the nature of Jonah? Just talk that through. You guys on Zoom, you can talk about both of them if you like. And, uh, and we'll come back here in a few minutes. All right, well, we'll start coming back here. So who had, who had the God, who had the nature of God? That was this side of the room, right? And the nature of Jonah, the nature of man, this side of the room. So what do we learn about, let's do Jonah first. What do we learn about the nature of Jonah, or man, just from this text? Like just, if all we had was chapter 4, what do we learn about the nature of man? Any, any, any major thoughts come up from anyone? Yeah, Jonah's pretty unforgiving, isn't he? He holds grudges. Selfish, selfish very selfish, very self-centered. Yep. Let me look, I mean think about that one on the selfish one. Go back to Jonah. Look at what his prayer to God, right? Is I mean honestly, if you're not going to kill these people, kill me. Right? I mean honestly, that's pretty much what he's asking God. I mean, it's I mean just completely completely self-centered prayers at all throughout this book uh, from Jonah. And I mean, think about it. I mean, we are all Jonah. Just, I mean, real, we are all Jonah, right? Selfish, self-centered. What else? What else came up? Yeah. He, he, remember, Jonah's a well-known prophet. Comes from a long family of prophets. And, uh, and even the great prophets can fail, right? I mean, and look, this is one thing I love about crossings. You've got, we have a great senior pastor who tells you every Sunday how flawed he is, right? And I think that's awesome because I know Marty well. He's got a few flaws. Uh, he, he does. He's got a few. And he's happy to explain those to us. And, but there's a lot of churches where they would, they would, they would say the exact opposite, right? And, and, I, and I want you to know we are all sinful, fallen creatures. No one is holier than thou. So... Um, we, we see even the great prophet has some flaws here. Anything else come up in there? I put down a couple more. Um, I saw Jonah being absolutely stubborn. He still hopes God's going to change his mind, even when God relents from the disaster, whenever, when God shows mercy. He's very much stubborn about it. He refuses to accept that as an answer. Uh, he is arrogant, and this is probably one that I relate to the most. Uh, he, yeah, he, he is absolutely arrogant. He is arrogant enough to think that his idea of judgment should trump what God's idea of judgment is here, right? What God's decision is in here, he thinks that God is wrong. I mean, honestly, that's, that's why he's so angry. Um, he's very, very short-sighted. He's looking at only his perspective, his own personal perspective. He's not playing out the longer end game on this. He's not trying to rise up and understand this better from God's perspective at all. He's very, very self in his perspective. And I'll, and I'll say this, and, and you, this is more you have to interpret from everything you see Jonah do. Jonah's a bit nationalistic, uh, and, and that can be a danger all in itself. One of the reasons he hates the Ninevites so much is because he's a strong Israeli nationalist. And, and I'll tell you, being over in Israel, I have never met so many hardcore nationalists in my life. Our, our tour, when I went to Israel, a few of you guys have been on that trip. When I went to Israel, we had this Israeli tour, tour guide, Yehuda, Jewish guy. Didn't really believe in Judaism, but he was culturally Jewish. 
but like every five minutes that Yehuda is talking to me, he is bragging on something else that, the, that Israel has done. I mean, it was literally, we, we, we're driving by and he goes, that over there, we make the best dates in the world. Like the little fruit, he goes, the best dates. Nobody can compete with our dates, right? We have the best dates. They try to do dates as good as us, but we make... Then he, he described the refrigeration technology that they had been using, like it was this marvel of science. And I'm like, we've been doing that for like 40 years, you know? But it was, but it was just one of these, like, it's embedded in the culture. Whenever you come from a culture where you are God's chosen people, Right? Selected out of all the other nations of the world, meant to be a holy and great nation, it's very easy to become incredibly nationalistic. We see this all throughout the Bible with the way Jewish people treat Gentiles, anyone else, as, as lesser than. And if we're not careful, we need to understand that's part of the nature of fallen man as well. And when you live in America, it's incredibly easy to also become nationalistic. Uh, because we live in the greatest nation on earth that has ever existed. And we can sometimes put our national pride and our national allegiance ahead of, ahead of God's will. Right? And so we see Jonah doing that. That is a temptation we all fall into. If you, if you were to go through just what you learn in chapter 4 about Jonah, and you were to really do a deep investigation into your own soul... You will find, if you're honest with yourself, I know I am, as I've gone through and done this, I hit almost every sin that Jonah exhibits in this text. All right, but what do we learn about God? So, so that, that makes us all depressed, right? So, so what do we learn about God, the nature of God? The nature of God, what, what did you, anything come out whenever you're going through the nature of God? Patience. Patience. Very much so. Very much so. Full of mercy. Agree. Slow to anger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 he's sovereign, right? He's in control of everything. On the sovereign, what what in this text makes us know God's in control of everything? What, any anything point out or stick out whenever you saw that? Yeah. Think about all the different things that God appointed to do his will. So you go back to the very beginning, he appoints a storm, he calms the storm, right? He appoints a great fish, which that's just cool in itself. In this text, he appoints a plant, he appoints a worm, right? He appoints a scorching east wind, right? He appoints all these different things. It's clear in this, if you know nothing else about God, God is sovereign. God is in control of everything he wants to be in control of. Right? There's nothing outside of his control. That's a great thing to know about the God that we worship. Anything else? So anything else come up in the nature of God that you stick up? Yep. Yeah. God, God's definitely teaching. He's, yeah. Yeah, God's definitely teaching Jonah a lesson in this. You're exactly right. Yes, sir. Yeah, we see a very different perspective between God's perspective and Jonah's perspective. Jonah cares about himself. Himself only here. God's, God actually cares about the 120,000 people in Nineveh, right? And there, was, and, and, and there was more people most likely in Nineveh at this time, just the way they do those counts. But, uh, but he actually has a much greater perspective. So, so if you go back to Jonah is quoting the original, that's a very, this is a very famous line throughout the Bible. And as I recall, the first time this, this idea of God being described this way 
uh, comes during the Exodus story, and it comes right after Moses intercedes for the people so that God, you know, after the, after the people, he's been up on the mountain, he comes down, they've been worshiping the golden calf after God had worked all these miracles for them. Not a good day in the office for these people, right, whenever they worship the golden calf. And we see God's nature described as he shows mercy after this whole golden calf incident. And we see this idea of God being gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Uh, We see this idea of God's nature carry all the way through. And if you really think about this, you understand God this way incredibly well because the whole Bible is nothing but a story of of creation fall, which happens right off the bat. Creation fall happens right at the beginning. The rest of the Bible is, is God's love story of redemption for his people, right? The fact that God is long-suffering and patient and merciful, we see that all throughout the Bible, right? The fact that Christ came alone is such a great example of his patience and mercy, and, and him having a much greater perspective than we have. We all think almost nothing about, about ourselves. Our current culture in particular, especially in America, drives us to think that way. God has a much greater perspective. I also saw um, his compassion, I think, comes out. Just the fact that he talks about the cattle. I always think it's like, God actually cares about the cattle. I always love that. It's my favorite. Every time I do my Bible reading plan and I get to Jonah, my favorite part of reading Jonah is the very end where I get to hear about the cattle. I just think it's such a fun little addition in the text. Uh, and his patience. So we see, we see a big difference, right, between sinful, depraved man and God, just all through this text. And I want you to keep that in your mind because it's so easy for us as sinful, depraved man, we all are, to really think about God as the best version of ourselves. And God's saying, no, 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 I'm, I am so much greater than the best version of yourself. The best version of yourself doesn't come close to the long-suffering, patient, merciful, righteous, holy, loving God that I am. Right? We, we, we just sometimes we so shortchange the nature of God. So I want to talk those through. We see Jonah sinning over and over again. We see him going outside of God's will over and over on this. How does this actually end up for Jonah, right? What, what's the end result for Jonah? Because uh, if, you, if you really step back and think about this, to be fair to Jonah, he does end up doing what God asked him to do, right? Not happy about it, but he ends up doing what God asked him to do. He went and he preached a lesson of repentance to the people, and they responded The city has been spared. God's will has been accomplished. Jonah's life has been spared. He's still alive, right? But but it doesn't necessarily feel like Jonah ends up on on all this on the right side of everything. It just seems like, I mean, would you characterize Jonah as a happy individual at the end of this story, content with all that's unfolded? No. What's Jonah desire? Hellfire and brimstone or death, right? It's either give me hellfire or brimstone for this city or give me death, Right? That, I mean, that's, that's his desire here. And so I, wanna, I, I, wanna, I want you to, to see something that I found as I went through and read this text that I think helps me better understand where Jonah ended up in this story. Because he is not happy, he is not content, he is actually in anguish at the end of the story. Even though he played a part in one of the most incredible stories that's ever been told. Right? He is not happy. Right, so, so I, w- I want to, if, if you go through, there is an interesting word 
that is used all throughout this story in Jonah. And the Hebrew word is raha. And, and you have to have that weird you know, sound in your throat to pull it off, and I don't have that. Uh, but it's R-A apostrophe, A apostrophe. That's the Hebrew word. And it's, it's a word that's used in a number of different ways. The most common way it's used is, is to describe evil. And so if you go back to the very beginning of Genesis, the, the first place I think you would see this word in the Bible, if I'm not mistaken, is whenever they're discussing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This word comes up. I want to show you where else this word comes up in this text. And just stick with me, and I'm going to try to get to my conclusion in my head on this one, um, because it made sense to me. We'll see if it makes sense to everybody else. So Jonah chapter 1, just listen to this. In verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. That's that word, raha, right? That evil has come up before me. So we see this, this bad thing re- coming from a group of people who are so far away from God is not possible. That has risen up to God that he is aware of it. We then see in verse 7 uh, in chapter 1, it, it, whenever they're on the boat, it says, and the, they said to one another, they're talking about the sailors, come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so whenever they're talking about the calamity of the storm, right, the impact, the consequence of this evil, they're using that same word. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, so they repented from that evil, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So we see them, like I said, God finding a way to turn them away from that evil. Now, then you see this word used in a very interesting way. If you go to our text today, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, my translation says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And remember, what displeased him? That God relented of the disaster, right? That God did not punish the Ninevites, that he showed them mercy. So it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That word angry, and I don't know what your translation may say. You may say angry, you may say upset, whatever it may be. But that word in Hebrew is that same word, raha. It's that evil, right? Jonah becomes subject to this evil, to this deep ancient word that goes all the way back to the tree of good and evil, right? Knowledge of the tree of good and evil, right? He gets subject to that same overwhelming condition within his heart. If you go to Jonah, um, let's see, Jonah chapter 4, verse 6, we see it again. It says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And that word discomfort is that same word, right? That same word that's used for evil, that same word that's used for angry, that same word discomfort, it all blends together. So, So let me try to help you see where I'm going on this. Even though Jonah took part in God's plan, right, even though he did, even though he played this part, his heart never repented, right? His heart never softened. He never, he never was truly aligned with God's will. He put his own will on top of God's will time after time after time through this. He never repented. 
And so what we see is that as we don't repent, as we continue to miss the mark, as we continue to make decisions in our life that don't align to God's will, but align to our own will, what we see is that original evil that was there in Nineveh that God was trying to handle, that original evil becomes a condition of our soul. We see Jonah being overtaken by the same condition because he is not aligned with God's will. I want you to see how that becomes a consequence of living out our own will. Even though, from an outsider, it would appear like Jonah was doing what he was supposed to do. Right? It would appear like he, he, he went, he preached a sermon, he went to Nineveh, he put his life on the line, he did all these things, but the end condition of all those things, because his will was still most important in his life, was a, an overwhelming sensation of agony, anger, anger, discomfort, evil. All right, I want you to see that. I, had, uh, I once heard Cole Fakes teach a lesson on Jonah, and he characterized this conclusion this way. Uh, he said, It's easy to go through the motions of God without being on mission for God. It's easy to go through the motions of God without being on mission for God, right? And that's exactly what we see Jonah doing here. He's going through the motions, but he's actually not aligned. He's not aligned. He is not following God. He, his heart is not aligned to the will of God. And, 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 I, and I think as Christians today, as people who follow God, who have made the decision to put our trust in God, it is so easy for us to go through the motion of God without being on mission for God. It's so easy for us to, to feel like we're there, but we've not actually completely surrendered to the design and the will of God. I don't know if anyone's ever seen this movie before. It's, um, it's a Jodie Foster movie. It was made back in the 90s, I believe. It was called uh, uh, Contact. Anyway, that, that ring a bell to anybody? Contact? So she's, she's, I can't remember, some type of scientist. And she hears this signal coming in from outer space. And she picks it up. It's really faint. And it's different. She doesn't know what it is. And so she interprets the signal. And it turns out that it's actually a communication from a different group of people. And they've communicated these incredible engineering plans for this kind of spaceship type thing. This kind of, they don't even really know what it is. But this, it's this intricate engineering that occurs. And, and they somehow, she gets the government to fund this thing. And they build this design based on what the aliens had told them uh, to build. I'm going to promise you this would get to a conclusion. But it, they, they build this design. And part of the design was whatever you know, she sat in, it was going to drop and they thought it would go through some sort of portal or whatever. But, it, but when, when they built it, it had no seating. It had nothing for her to sit in, nothing to strap her into in any way. And so the American engineers didn't like that. And so they modified the design, and they put this seating contraption with a, with a harness and safety belt onto the design. And so Jodie Foster goes into it. They, they, she goes through the portal, and the whole thing is just shaky, and she's vibrating all over the place. Her seat ends up just coming apart and going completely back and going back to the back of the deal. Uh, and once that does, everything calms down because their design was good. Their design didn't need the seat, 
right? The design didn't require that. Whenever it, she didn't sit in seat, everything was fine and peaceful, and she went about whatever journey it was that the spaceship was going to take her on. And I think so often we do the same thing. God's given us his will. He's told us what to do, but we actually just don't trust it. And so we put our own design on top. We put our own design right in the middle. We, we add something into the mix. And, and when we do that, we're just kind of going halfway. And so I, I think what we see from Jonah here is that whenever he only went halfway, whenever he only went through the motions, the end result was not contentment. Right? It wasn't peace. It wasn't joy. It wasn't all the things God promises us. Right? And God does promise all us all those things. But if we believe that we're going to get all those promises of God by doing it only a little bit his way and mostly our way, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. We talk to so many people here around the church who have such anxiety. And a lot of their anxiety is caused from their financial predicament. And you sit there and you go, it's like God told us not to, not to obsess with material things. Not to go into debt in this way. Not to do all these things. But it's like, but it's easier to trust in our own judgment on these things. It's like God told us to, I mean, and I'm a finance guy, so you're going to always get giving illustrations from me. It just is where my mind naturally goes. It's not even in my notes, I promise. But God told us to give, right? Not because the church needs a lot of money, but because one of the biggest temptations we're all going to face each and every day is greed. Greed and overconsumption. And as we give, it's like we build a fence around ourselves to protect us from greed, right? God tells us, you know, that um, this whole thing of, you know, of the way we use our time, the way we, we the, what we put into our mind, all these things are going to play into whether or not we're truly going to trust in his will or not, or are we just going to go through the motions. But I want you to see the consequence of Jonah what the condition of his soul was when he just went through the motions. What I'd probably end with today is I would, I would really urge you to think about what is it that you are trusting yourself with, your own wisdom with, when you know it's not actually God's will. What is that in your life? What's the one thing that's right there that's like this burden on your back that you just know is there and you know it's a problem, but you've, you've yet to say, God, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to trust in your ways on this because you still think your way is the best answer. Right? What is that in your life? Right? I want you to pray about that, and I want you to say, yes, Lord, I give it to you. I give it to you. Right? Your way is the good way. You have been at this a lot longer than I have. You are not only thinking about me, but you're thinking about all the people I'm going to come into contact with. Your perspective is greater. You are not selfish. You are patient. You are merciful. You are loving. You are long-suffering. You have given me chance after chance after chance. I love you, Lord. I know that I am Jonah in this story, and you are a great God. Take it off of my back. I give it to you. Right? I want you to really think about that pray about that. If there's anything you want to share at your tables, please feel free. Always use these guys to talk through things. I guarantee whatever you're struggling with, there's somebody else probably at the table with you who's struggling with the same thing. And, um, and, but, but be aware of the warnings we get from Jonah. We get a lot of warnings from this story. Even a prophet can fail, right? Even a prophet's heart can, can, can be in this condition. 
even an American who lives and worships in this great church can have this condition, right? Let's not just go through the motions. Let's trust in a good and holy God. Make sense? All right, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you again for these men, and I thank you for your word. This is a great warning for us. And you give these warnings to us not because you're mean, not because you're angry. You give them to us because you love us, just the way that I warn my kids not to walk into the street without looking, not to, not to avoid doing their homework. The same way I give my children loving warnings, you give your children loving warnings because you know what's best for us. You know what joy looks like. You know what peace looks like. And you know that it has been promised. You just ask us to trust in you. It is hard to trust in the things that we have gotten so used to, though, that we've always done on our own, that have always been there for us, that are right in front of us. It's hard to take those things away and to trust in you. I ask that you give us all the strength, the motivation, the encouragement to live a life where we're not just going through the motions, but we're on mission. We're aligned to your will, and we trust in you each day, and that when we screw up, when we go outside, we change our direction right back, and we come right back to you. Lord, we love you. As you be with these men, give them strength, increase their faith, watch over them, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, announcement for the class. We will meet next week. So next Wednesday we'll have class. The Wednesday after is the day right before Thanksgiving, so we'll be off that week. So just plan accordingly. A lot of people will be traveling. I'm going to try to take some PTO. Uh, and so we'll be off the Wednesday right before Thanksgiving. Thank you, guys.